Hello there and welcome to the Manifestation Kitchen podcast where I open our cooking pots so inspirational geniuses who heal the world through food, words, touch and so much more can add their ingredients for our culinary pleasure of the soul. My name is Victoria Dio and I am your host and today I have the outstanding, the shake that ass, the incredible Mr. Joseph McClendon III. Now, I met Joseph, goodness, six years ago at the UPW event, 2016 in the UK. And I can't believe that years later, I'm actually going to be speaking to him. And I can't wait for you to just hear this incredible conversation. Now, Joseph is also one of the most sought after ultimate performance specialists. And his unique brand that's called Tell, Show, Try and Do really inspires people to go for consistent action so that they can achieve personal and business success. But also a lot of you will know him as Tony Robbins' right-hand man at the UPW events. So why don't we just pop over and let's get cooking and see what he's got to tell us. I'll speak to you soon. Take care. Okay, so hello everybody. And hello, Mr. Joseph McClendon, how are you? Victoria, I'm great, how about yourself? <laughs> I'm wonderful, I'm wonderful. I'm so happy to be here. I'm just gonna position myself in the middle and stuff, so yes. Let me so, do yeah. yeah, right. I love this. I love I love doing this live. And none of this gets edited, by the way. This is it. This is live. <laughs> like I so, said, you don't you don't scare me. <laughs> that's what you said before we came on. He's like, you don't scare me. So thanks so much for coming in. Now, I brought you on because I really passionately believe that there are geniuses in this world. Once you discover your geniuses, I think everybody is a genius, but once you discover your genius and you're healing the world, I love to have those people on to talk about them, to see if we can learn something from you and um, if you can shed some light. So I'm gonna start with the fact that I met you at UPW four years ago. Wow. And I've never shaked my ass so much. <laughs> I. <laughs> I shook it and I shook it and I shook it the other way around. And I just want to say thanks for that because it was so inspirational. Now, how long have you been working with Tony? Because it's been a long, long time. I think you mean, how long has Tony been working with me? <laughs> how long how long did that do, Tony? <laughs> It's been uh, close to 30 years now, three decades. Wow. And you're only 25, so. I'm 27. Yeah, let's not lie about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, we, we, first, we met in uh, 1986, and mm -hmm. then we started working together shortly after that. So I, I've only known you for the last four, year, four years, five years. So I want to know, how have you developed in all those years? Because you are always telling us, you're always teaching us, and your message slightly changes throughout the years. So I want to know, what were you like on day one compared to the dude we see now? Day one of what? There have been a lot of day ones. UPW. Day one. UPW. Let's start with UPW. Oh, well, well I actually... Um, I started studying psychology long before I met Tony, long before I met Tony. And, um, and as a matter of fact, when I, I was also a musician, that was my quest in life. That's what I wanted to do. And I, I, I pursued being a psychologist because quite honestly, to satisfy my dad, uh, and myself to a little bit because my father didn't believe in art. He didn't believe that art was going to uh, bring about anything that I could support a family and and support myself with. So he wasn't against it, uh, and he never he never squashed that in me. But he also told he always told me, "Listen, you got to have what's out front, something that's going to be scholastic." And he was extremely extremely education. So I pursued psychology. 
psychology. Pursued psychology as a result of something that happened to me, Victoria. Um, my, I had a great upbringing. I had great parents, taught me lots of uh, virtues and values and, and tenacity and all of those things. But that all got taken away from me when I was 17 and a half years old, when three grown men tried to take my life because of the color of my skin. And it destroyed me. It literally, it, it literally destroyed my self-esteem. It took everything away from me and, it, and I wound up being homeless. And what changed my life was somebody gave me a book called Think and Grow Rich. You know the book. Yeah. And um, I read the book. I did what the book says, and I'm going to come back on that said in a, in a minute. But I did what the book said, and I changed my life. And uh, one of the things in the book was I, I realized that I could change how I think, which would change what I did and the results that I got. And that fascinated me. And so uh, when I went back to the gentleman that gave me the book to thank him, to, to thank him because he changed my life. I said, what do I, what can I do for you? And what he said to me was, you do for me what I've done for you for as many people as you possibly can for the rest of your life. And so the combination of that uh, promise that I made to him and my fascination with the human Maui function for myself mainly was led me along that path. And so I had already started doing some things and started becoming successful. Uh, way before I met Tony. And when I met Tony, I was having this juxtaposition between my my uh, personal uh, passion, which was music, and my other need to fulfill, like I said, my father and, and the, things that I, the things that I had done before scholastically and, and make money. And so when I met Tony, I had actually gone to one of his events and I saw a, a new way of helping people get beyond their psychological challenges. And I have this thing, uh, Victoria, where I always say, "Physician, heal thyself. Don't practice, don't preach theory. Uh, do it for yourself first. And um, I, I adapted those methodologies on myself first, changed my life. And um, we didn't actually start working together for a few years after that, but we became friends and started to hang out. And so to answer you, you know, long answer to your question, the person that I was back then uh, was um, was more about expressing myself in my art, expressing myself in uh, entertaining people, expressing myself in, in helping people. About 30% was helping other people with their lives. And now it's 90% helping other people with their lives. So that's the difference in what I do, the difference in the person that's another long, long story. <laughs> we'll have to get you back. We'll have to get you back. So it's quite interesting because I was talking to a friend yesterday and she'd been offered a huge opportunity and it fell through twice. And I study alchemy. I'm an African oracle. So I see beyond. And what I said to her was, there must be a resistance from your element that would have caused for that to have fallen through. So my question to you is this when you had the opportunity to go out and impact over 5 million people's lives, was there a sense of resistance from you where you went, no way, I can't do this? And how did you deal with that? No, there wasn't. Um, I, I will say, honestly, there was a resistance before that opportunity came up because I wanted to pursue music. Sure. Um, so that's where the that's where the uh, juxtaposition came. But once I saw the clear path, and once that uh, I, the lights came on for me, and I recognized that I'm fulfilling my passion, my promise that I made to uh, the gentleman that helped me, as well as um, my, my passion for wanting to uh, just change people's lives. That I was I was raised that way. Uh, I didn't hesitate, and no, I went after. It. And I will also say that my lack of hesitation came from training myself not to hesitate because right. I think we all have that fear of failure, fear of su success and, and uh, a fear of rejection. And that lived inside of me as well. But I, at the risk of sounding arrogant, I pride myself on having conditioned myself to default to a place of certainty yeah. so that I don't have to think about it. I don't have to put myself in state and I don't have to muster it when I need it. It's just when something shows up, I default to a place of certainty. And that's what I teach people. That is the, that to me is one of the biggest gifts that I can teach people to find in themselves so that they don't have to have that, that internal dialogue battle with themselves. Something just shows up and says, of course, I'm going to do it. I'm going to make it happen. Wow. So 
this was, should I say summer lockdown? You, we saw a different side to you. You literally ran this, you know, the Magnificent Life's Challenge, which was outstanding. Thank you. And it was done at a time when passions were running high. And as as a black woman, I don't know if you realize, but I am black, you know, as a black woman. You are. I am. (laughs) But as a black woman walking into an event and seeing a, a guy who has done this work meant a lot because somebody who looks like me and being able to go, wow, this guy has had similar, you know, similar happenings. Like my parents, if you weren't a doctor or a lawyer, it didn't matter. Right, <laughs> right, sure. Right, right. So I know you can relate to that. So one thing that I'm going to say is when I logged into the uh, Magnificent Life Challenge, I was astounded at how many black people were there. Were you? Were you so no, because we we marketed it that way. Right. That that was specifically for. However, it was specifically for, but not limited to oh, I get that. black or brown skin. Sure. And I say that very strongly with the not limited to, because a great deal of the people on there were not uh, 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 brown or black people, uh, and that's what I wanted. Yeah. Now the concept behind it was this. Um, I'll say it in three different ways. Number one, if you have black or brown skin, you have what I call a psychological wound that you may not know. And um, that wound was given to you in ways that you might not understand. One of them was through society, television, media, and all of those things that we've experienced through our lives. And proof of it is, by the way. Um, and I, I pointed out there, and anybody watching, please go through the, do this. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna tell you, it's gonna break your heart. Uh, however, it will give you some understanding as to not just, um, not just, uh, uh, just the effect on black people, but on human beings in general. But I want to give you this. This is the reason why I made this for, for, uh, for the black community or brown and black skin. There's a, there's a um, experiment called the, the black baby doll experiment. If you go watch this, I, I promise you, if this doesn't break your heart get to the hospital quickly because you're getting ready to have a heart attack because you don't have a heart there, right? <laughs> and what it is, is they took a, a black baby doll and they took a brown, a, a white baby doll. Yeah. They set them side by side on a table and they tell these children between the ages of three and five years old, they ask them, they say, point to the baby that's wrong, bad, and ugly. And all of those children, all of those black babies pointed to the black baby doll. They said, point to the baby doll that's good, right, and pretty. And they all pointed to the white baby doll at three to five years old. Where did they get that? Like I said, there's one way, which is what was put in front of us, sure. you know, uh, and, and that does include by our own kind, because we're not the kindest to ourselves as well. Um, as well as there's something, Victoria, this fascinating science, and I'm a scientist, by the way, um, that it's called um, epigenetics. Yes. Epigenetics, yeah. Epi means above uh, of the uh, of, the, of the, the genes, and what it is is basically it says that uh, we inherit the fears and beliefs of our ancestors. Completely. Yeah, and proof of it is, and again, I'm all about let's make hardcore science and, and not skeptics uh, uh, skepticism or or uh, or uh, you know conjecture. So. Uh, and part of these these experiments, they did they did them on rats and they did them on people as well. But they did them on rats, on mice. And what they did was they they would take a mouse and or these mice and they would introduce them to a smell. The smell was something like cinnamon or vanilla. Mm-hmm. And the mice, when they introduced it to the to the mice, they would shock the the mice, give them give them pain. And they would do this over and over again until pretty soon they could remove the shock. All they had to do was introduce the the smell to the animal and the animal would go into uh, their their sympathetic nervous system they go into fight or flight and they would go into fear but here was the interesting thing the offspring of those animals 10 15 20 generations deep all they had to do was introduce cinnamon or or vanilla smell and those animals would go into shock they go into fear and, and it's the same with human beings. And so the reason I say that is if you have black or brown skin, our ancestors were beaten, enslaved, raped, lynched, and hi- psychologically hijacked to believe the worst about ourselves, about themselves. And that is handed down through the ages as well. 
And so that has shown up. Now, the reason I did the, the uh, Magnificent Life Challenge was for this, for everybody's benefit. Yes. Everybody's benefit, not just the benefit of, of black people, but um, because um, I have had the privilege, as you said, and it's where you met me, as a matter of fact. Uh, of of presenting to close to 5 million people. That's just the live side, right. let alone television and all those things. Exactly. And only about 5% of those audiences are black or brown skin. And so, which means that uh, if you have black or brown skin, you not only have that that we were just talking about, the epigenetics and those beliefs and those things uh, about ourselves, but we also are not getting that information because I'm watching people like yourself take that information integrate it into their, their system, take it back to their lives and thrive, which means we're a step behind. And so the reason I did it at that particular time in our history was when it comes down to Black Lives Matter and all the issues when the world was, was being shown the inequalities and so on and so forth, but more specifically, the world was stepping up and going, this is not right. You know, it was not just Black people in the streets that were marching. There was a myriad of people Yes. You know, people are just starting to realize, well, wait, we just, we didn't understand. We didn't realize how it is. And so I wanted everybody and I'm, and I am proud to say and grateful to say that a great deal of that audience uh, was, uh, was, it was mixed. Uh, and obviously, you know, way more than 5% of the audience were, were African-American. And the greatest part about this, and people can still join us on the Magnificent Life uh uh, Facebook group and anybody can join people are still getting results and people are still doing it because it wasn't about just come listen to Joseph talk and let's rehash the past I'm going to give you tools strategies and processes that you can change that that internal dialogue or any of those epigenetics that are going on inside yeah I I, I will definitely put this at the bottom of this uh, um, at the bottom of this recording i just thought it was wonderful and you know i don't want to go back to that day when this whole black lives matters but i i i i grew well i spent about 12 years in africa so wow. we we didn't have as much as what the americans have because you know we're in control of our land if that makes sense yeah. and we get our land back but what i will say is I remember when I saw what I saw, I saw every black man I knew and it, and it killed me to the core and I didn't know how to express myself. And that's how I reached out to you because initially I was like, I want to talk about this. And then I decided that I didn't want it to be an emotive conversation. I wanted it to be a conversation around healing and how to ensure that it, we never go back there as to, opposed to expressing our anger and when you created that I, I don't know if you're aware of what you did but I just want to say thank you from all the people who um who, who felt it that day whether they're black white yellow green for everybody who felt it that day I believe that you started a process of healing that will continue and I hope you run another one soon to continue that because we need to get people to be feeling comfortable to go to any event, any self-development event. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I know a lot of friends of mine who, when they see what I do, they look at me as if I'm crazy. They're like, girl, what happened to just being in the corporate world? And I'm like, but I received my calling, you know, and the work that you're doing allows us to see the possibilities. Well, thank you for that. And this has been a lifelong, like I said, not just from what I said um, uh, when the gentleman gave me the book and changed my life. It's been lifelong. My entire life, as far back as I can remember, has been about bringing and helping people. My father in 1962, yeah, 1962, my father, um, he was in the Air Force at the time. Him and I think four or five of his buddies stopped at a restaurant in, in Grand Forks, North Dakota to get a meal. Two of his buddies were white. Two of his buddies were black. They went into a restaurant. Now, this is 1962. They went into the restaurant and my father and his other and his other two black friends were refused service and were told to leave. Now, you know, one would think, well, 62, gosh, it's way beyond that. No, this is still during those times. And my father stood up for himself. He 
took them to court and they won the court battle back in, in 62. Now, if you think about it, back in those days, that was a very dangerous thing to do. Yes. And um, uh, and I remember uh, my father telling me about it and telling me why he did it and why it's important. And then, you know, years and I was just a baby back then. But then years later, Martin Luther King got killed and all of those things. And my father would always tell me, listen, you must always not only stand up for what's right and help other people as well, but you've got to show people that we can be better than what we think we are and what other people might think we are as well. And so that has been my passion to do so. But it's interesting what you just said with regard to more people being willing to step up. In uh, 1986, I wrote my first book and, I, and I, the book was called Unlimited Power of Black Choice. Now, the reason I wrote that book and I wrote it, I, I literally did the writing, but I co-wrote I, I, I co it with my partner, Anthony Robbins, Tony Robbins. Now, the reason I wrote that book was because, as I told you, when I read Think and Grow Rich and I did the exercises, and it was primitive back then, obviously, my stuff now is, is, has advanced that type of work uh, and the understanding of the processes, um, I started to become successful. And um, in real estate first and in psychology and all of those things, I started to become materially su successful and became a better person, happier person, things like that. And my friends... Would, would go, Joseph, what are you doing? My black friends would go, Joseph, what are you doing? And I go, well, I read these books, I go to these seminars and I do these things. And their general answer was, well, those are white people and we can't relate to them. And so and that didn't make sense to me because I wasn't raised that way, but that's why I wrote my first book was because I wanted to bring, you know, it's all black stories, all black, you know, all those things. And, and it is not that I am black centric. No. Is, that is one piece of my life that I wanted to make sure that I was bringing along uh, the people that wouldn't otherwise get this. Yeah. And so that changed a lot of people's lives. And so it has all, the, you know, the, the Magnificent Life Challenge uh, was uh, just a, a graduation of that. And yes, we are going to do more. Um, and, and I will say this, I, um, I had quite the epiphany as I was doing that as well. And I want to tell you something. You said that you, um, you were, uh, it's been some time in Africa. Mm -hmm. I went to Africa one time. And when I went, my dear, one of my dearest friends in life, his name is Steve Wright. And Steve is uh, from, from London. And Steve had been to Africa several times. And he told me, Joseph, now, now by the way, his experience being black in, in Great Britain is different than the experience of being black in America. Oh, yeah. And um, so he goes, so, so I had this event that I was going to go uh, on do a uh, speaking event that I was going to do a coaching event that I was going to do there. And I, uh, and I think it was I think it was Steve that procured the procured the event. Uh, so, but he was going with me, and he says, "Joseph, your life is going to change when you get there." And I'd always heard that, but I had no idea what that meant. And um, now, now again, now this was ninety eight, ninety nine, right around there. And I'd always heard that, and I also had you know I'm as I said, I won't teach theory. Physician, heal thyself. I always I won't teach or tell somebody something that I haven't done myself. And so I've been working on myself and all these things. And, and so I kind of pride myself on having a level head and a level set of emotions and, and all those things. Uh, that was just my ego though. Um, so, I was going to say something else then. Yeah. So, when I, so when I got on the plane and I'm, I'm embarrassed, I'm not embarrassed. I want everybody to hear this. Yeah. When I got on the plane and, and I think the name of the airline was, uh, Nigerian airline, because that's where we went to, was to Nigeria. Okay. Yes. I got on the airline, and that this was uh, uh, in the 90s. So uh, I, I remember I uh, getting on the airplane, and you, they still, in those days, the pilot's door was open, so you could see the pilots when you walk in. And there was one black pilot, and there was one white pilot. And this is the shameful thing that I'm going to say. Yes. It's for a moment that I thought, well, thank God one of them's white. It was horrible. I caught myself in the moment going, what the, where the hell did that come from? Yep. I've been there. And yep. I felt sick inside. Mm -hmm. And I got on a plane and I went to sleep and, and we flew, we flew, we flew from, uh, from London to uh, Nigeria. Yes. When the plane landed, I got off the plane and, and by the way, all of the flight attendants were black. Yes. And, and I thought, well, that's, this is great. This is this is nice. I'd never seen that before. Uh, but when I got off the plane, now it was 
uh, it wasn't a big airport. Uh, Lagos Airport was not a big airport. It was, uh, and so it was in the olden days. So the, the plane would park, you'd walk down the jet ramp, uh, down the stairs, and then across the tarmac to the, to the uh, uh, airport. And so as I was walking, Victoria, I started to feel emotional. And I didn't know why. I started to feel emotional. By the time I got halfway, I felt like I was going to cry. By the time I got to the door of the airport, tears were running down my eyes. By the time I got in the airport, I had to sit down and I was sobbing. And my good friend Steve was, you know, pat me on the back, said, you know, hey, you know, I got you. I feel you. And I realized what it was. I still get emotional about it now. Um, was 10,000 pounds of pressure that I did not know was there came off of my shoulders because everybody around me looked like me. Yes. And I didn't feel judged because of the color of my skin. Now, the reality of it was that, again, I didn't know that it was there. The person that was judging me was me. The person that was making those, you know, that I didn't know that I was, oh, I wonder what they think. I wonder what they think was me. And so as soon as I realized that, like I said, I just, and it has never been the same again, because now coming back into America where I am, it's like, I recognize that, that, as I said earlier, that um, epigenetic part of it and the social impact of how we are meant are made to feel about ourselves. Um, I'm not going to say it doesn't exist, but it's way, way back in the background. I'm still, I'm smart enough to know that yes, the color of my skin still does make a difference, unfortunately. Uh, however, I'm not beating myself up over it. And so, so from that, I developed a set of skills to help people rid themselves of that because whether you know it or not, and by the way, we're speaking this about black people or Victoria, but it's with everybody. Everybody's got their, their burden of some sort. Completely. And sorry, have you finished? <laughs> yeah, yeah, sorry. You, you, you invited me here. You got this going. All right. <laughs> I, no, I love it. I, I think it's um, the tools are so important. And then, like you say, just because we're talking about black people or brown people, it affects everybody. And that brings me to you being a dad. <laughs> Look at that smile. <laughs> the smile of you being a dad and the fact of how proud you are of him. And Zach is doing some amazing things on, on social media. And he sounds so much like you. He's like a new you. It's, it's hilarious. But, you know, how do you keep him grounded in this world where you're trying to make things better? How do you keep him with his feet on the ground? I have five... Uh, pillars that my father taught me. And I uh, am proud to say that my father taught me how to be a father. Mm -hmm. um, and as a matter of fact, my latest book uh, is called Dare to be Magnificent. And it is about those five pillars that um, how I do my best to, uh, to help my son have a, a quality life and treat people well as well. Now, he's a teenager now. He just turned 14, so he's got a mind of his own and everything, and he's, he's a great, great kid. Um, and so the five pillars are this. Number one, integrity. Mm. And integrity in short means do what you say you're going to do yes. and do the right thing. Yes. Uh, and again, these are the, the lessons that I learned from my father and my mother, quite honestly. Do what you say you're going to do. Now, this keep doing what you said you were going to do over and over again. That means even when it gets difficult, even when it gets hard, even when, when you don't want to do it, you, you do it anyway, no matter what. Discipline is doing the prescribed activity um, as prescribed, no matter what, even and especially when it's difficulty. So the second thing is tenacity. The third thing is energy. And when I say energy, I don't mean uh, I don't mean just get up and go energy. I mean the electricity that runs through your body. And that is produced by the condition of your body and the movement of your body. You know, you started this off by saying shaking that ass. That's, that's not just something fun to do. I created that so that that moves your entire body and it creates electricity and energy inside of you. When you do that, you have energy. And then you have the energy to have tenacity and to follow through on what you said you're going to do. The third thing is joyfulness joyfulness. 
What that means is um, to approach everything in life with humor and and joy and and optimism, if you will, because that's the quality of life. That's that's when you want to have quality of life. And then the last thing is kindness, mm. kindness to other people and kindness to yourself. Doing the right thing, you know, reaching out to other people. You know, my mom, when when uh, we were growing up, my mother would always do basket brigades, and she would go. It would it would piss me off in when she would do it. But summertime here in the U.S. was supposed to be that's the time that you don't have school and and you get to you know live and all that stuff. My mother would go into the, now we didn't have money ourselves, but she would go into the poorer sections of town and somehow convince these parents to let her have their children for the summer. She would bring one boy that was younger than me, like, like two or three years younger than me, and two girls for my sisters. And it was our responsibility to take care of those kids. And I remember the first time that that happened, I was pissed off. I didn't, you know, I, I don't want this kid hanging around until I remember seeing that kid come into my bedroom because I had a bedroom of my own. And he looked around, he goes, this is your room? This is all your room all by yourself. And I realized he didn't he didn't have the you know, and again, we didn't have we didn't have money either. But um and he just he didn't worship me, but he admired me. And I remember thinking, gosh, I and I remember getting bit by the bug that helping this guy and teaching this guy. And we did this several years, and several of those young men throughout my life have come back into my life and said it was that summer that changed their lives. And so that level of kindness of reaching out and helping other people that's why we're here on this planet as far as i'm concerned and so those are the things that i try to uh instill into my son as well and he doesn't always do everything right obviously he's a kid and uh, you know he pushes back on some things but he's coming along i love it i love it and then you know say hello to him from us now i want to ask you about your music because you tell us about this music and when when you when you do when you do these amazing videos of yours and you go I'm out I want to know about the I'm out thing as well I'm going to ask you about I'm out because literally people have started using it on Clubhouse and everything like I'm out I'm out are you coming on Clubhouse by the way I I have just started I ju I'm just learning about it I just started yeah okay we need to get you in we need to get you into a room and stuff with with some of the big guys and you can so I like, have a chat to people Master Clo our rooms I would love that. and I would love your tutorial on that as well because I'm I'm just learning it so I'll, I'll reach back out to you and you can yeah, coach me on that how's that about that let's have a chat about that but yeah you know all these beautiful guitars and you've never played for us and I just want to know why well, I have I have you just haven't seen it and yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, part of the part of the reason is um most of those it's my studio next door there's one in here if you can see that uh, there's one back there. There's one on the wall here. Um, I have, I, I play a guitar and keyboards and, and, but bass guitar is my favorite instrument uh, to play. And I have uh, 18 of them here in the house. There's several in that one room, but there's also all around. That's just my thing. It's just like shoes for some people or whatever. That's just my thing. And um, I do uh, occasionally make a little video of them. The challenge is the sound quality that comes through the little speakers that are on our phones or things like that is not great. So uh, being a musician, I, I, I want it to sound really good as well. But I, I do occasionally uh, play out. I'm not shy, you know. I, I, we're not, with that we know. You don't need to tell us. <laughs> so I'm gonna ask. I'm gonna ask a favor on, on behalf of the listeners. Would you mind doing us a video, a, a, like a, a two minute video of a tune, so you can serenade us and let us have it, and we'll play it following this recording. I'll do, I'll do you better than that. There are is already one on on YouTube, and, and hit me back, and I'll send it to you. There's one that I made years ago, but it's. Uh, Actually, there are two or three. Uh, one I made with my son when he was quite little, uh, and they are—they're fun, you know, things like that. So, yeah, I love it. I love it. So let's go into the man himself because you mentioned your mom, and you—I've heard an amazing story about your mom, but I want to know what sort of woman she was mm -hmm. and the story behind it that really transformed your life because you—you you actually implemented a huge belief. Um, in in her existence around the last 11 or so years of her life. And I just want to know, what sort of woman was she? 
my mom was, uh, and it's not just because she's my mom, was the most amazing woman on the planet as far as I was concerned. And what I mean by that was she had all of those things that I said before, integrity, tenacity, energy, joyfulness, and kindness as well. And But she exemplified that because she was an artist. My mother taught things uh, that she didn't know she was teaching. She taught life lessons uh, by example, and sometimes and I know she didn't know she was teaching uh, these things, but she ex had me uh, experience things. And from those experiences, you know, you said that you are in, into alchemy and things like that. Well, I'm into uh, the invisible forces uh, as well that impact our lives. Oh, don't get me started. And, and here's what I will say is I'm from I, I'm, I blend the neurosciences with hardcore science hardcore science. So everything is provable. Anything that I say, I got to be able to prove it. You may or may not know this, but I taught at the University of Southern California for several years. And um, yeah, and I taught to engineers and they're the most critical and, and some of the smartest people on the planet. So everything that I taught, I had to prove. And so when I talk about magnetism and attraction and um, and invisible forces, if you will, that really do exist. I had to prove it. And so I pride myself on that as well. So I can prove it with science. And so my mom would, um, she, uh, for example, like I said, I'll tell you about the kindness part that she, that was just who she was, was, was doing that. But my mother was uh, a, an opera singer. She was a classically trained opera singer. And I remember asking my mother one time because she would make songs up. And she would, again, take me to the symphonies and things like that as a very, very little kid. And I remember asking my mom, I go, mom, where does the music come from? And she goes, what do you mean? And I, and I go, when you make something up, when you, when you, uh, where does it come from? And she goes like this, out there. Okay. And I remember as a kid, now I don't know that she was intending to teach me that way, but to me that meant that it's in the air, it's in the universe, it's around, all around us, and all you have to do is go get it. Yes. And so that belief, permeated my being, my soul. And I realized that, wait a minute, anything that I want, you know, music is one thing, but anything that I want, it's already out there. Imagine growing up with that belief. And so from that, everything that as far back as I look, um, that I approach, I approach with a level, a, a degree of certainty that it's there and it's up to me to go get it. It's not that, you know, I may run into challenges because maybe the color of my skin or because I don't know something or or the weather or COVID or something like that. But it's up to me to go and get it. And as a result, that led me along the paths that I said I did. Now, what you're referring to is that um, in in 1988, my mother was diagnosed with terminal cancer. Yeah. The physician told myself and my sister that it was terminal and she had two months to live. But because of what I know about the human body, because what I know about the invisible forces, because of what I know about the human brain and psychology and what I know about how to treat your body so that it functions better, I was able to, I never let him tell her that. I never let him tell him because that's one thing. Um, I was able to help her program herself. And very long story short, she lived 11, another 11 and a half years cancer free. Amazing. Yeah. And so there's nobody on the planet that can that can tell me that these invisible forces and these strategies, processes and tools um, don't exist. A and then B, if we apply them, it's out there to bring it into our lives. And that's what I teach. That's that is where I am right now. You may or may not be aware of this, but we're on the uh, cusp of uh, launching on um, something that I call neural encoding. And neuroencoding is my brand of what I do. In other words, I, I liken it to this. I'm going to show you my phone here for a second for those of you that are watching. This is this is my phone. Here, let me get it out here where you can. Uh, maybe that's too bright. Oh, you need to turn it, make it darker for us to see it. But that looks so cool. No, no. But what I want you to see is, oh, I know how, how can I can do this. Anyway, I you can't see it really well, but I counted them up. I have 60. Four apps on my phone. Right. 64. And so, and and I'm going to ask you, Victoria, how many apps do you have on your phone? I, I don't know. There's too many. Yeah, yeah. So, so here's the question. You got more than 10, right? Yes, definitely. Most people average just by, by what I've seen, 
30 plus apps on their phone, yeah, but they true. only use on average five of them. Yeah, makes sense. On average five, 10 yeah. max, okay? And so I have within all the things that I've studied, that I've worked, the certifications and things that I have, hypnotherapy and, and neurolinguistics and neuroassociative conditioning and all of those things, I have hundreds and hundreds of different different processes and, and skills and things like that. But I only use a handful of them. Right. And, uh, and I produce major results. You know, my, my title is by, by trade, by profession, I'm a neuropsychologist, but by trade, I'm an ultimate performance specialist. I help people get over, get over uh, and get, you know, I have the privilege of working with movie stars and, and Academy Award winners and Grammy winners and sports figures and all those things as, as a, uh, as a coach and as a mentor to help people go further faster. But I only use a handful of those things to get those results, major, quick, lasting results. And so what um, my team and I did was we distilled it down into a certification course. That's something that I call encoding. Neuroencoding is the process by which helping somebody and giving somebody the tools mm. to deliberately mm. change their psychology, mm -hmm. meaning how they think about themselves, other people in the world around them, so that they automatically mm. default to better behaviors and better beliefs, which produce better results. What does that mean? Giving people the ability to program themselves, mm -hmm. help them program themselves so that when something shows up that is uncomfortable, that would cause them to procrastinate or hesitate or fear of failure, fear of success, self-loathing or all those things, something happens inside. So they default to a more optimistic, to a more energetic, to a more productive behavior, which causes them to produce a result. And so we created this program and I'm working with an amazing uh, physician, um, uh, Dr. Amen, about brain scanning uh, to give people this skill to do so, to certify people in doing that. And so the reason I share that with you, you know, going back to my mom is um, I wanted, you know, when I was able to help my mom as a result of that, I've been able to help so many other people as well. And I want to take it out of my hands and give it to other people as well. I want other people to have this skill as well. And what I mean by that is this, right now, COVID has, mm -hmm. has uh, um, brought to the surface several things. One of them is that more and more people are starting to recognize that they need to, they, that they need to and want to become better people. Yeah. People have literally come of age over this last year. Yeah. People, people that would have normally, uh, you know, taken a year and wasted that year doing something stupid, have come to the realization that, wait a minute, okay, I'm through with Netflix, I'm through with Hulu, there's me, what else do I do? And so, the, you know, they want to emerge better people. And it's something that I call being wealthy. Mm. wealthy. To me, means healthy, happy, and financially abundant. And so that's what that's what I want to show people how to do. If you're a coach, if you're a mentor, if you're a teacher, which everybody is, then this is for you. Or if you want it for yourself. And so I'm certifying people to, to teach what I teach now as well. Oh, sounds amazing. I can't wait to hear about that a bit more and stuff. So when will we hear about it? Do you know yet? Yeah. Well, it's we're, we're actually launching it um, mid-March. I'm sorry, uh, beginning of April. Okay. Um, and so, um, but... You can go to my Instagram. I see you, you uh, crawling it across the board. Go to my Instagram and click on the link below my profile. And there is something that says the brain revolution. It's totally free, by the way. You okay. click on it and it'll take you there and you'll learn all about it. And you'll see all the stuff. And I, I, I'm super, super proud of it. But the most, the, the biggest reason why I'm proud of it, Victoria, is because um, I get to, it gets to grow beyond me. Yes. Um, it gets to right now, uh, you know, no matter what anybody says, some of this that we're doing right now, which is inter interacting uh, online, some of that is going to stay. Yes, we will have live events and things like that. But um, for people that run, that, that do masterminds and things like that, this is a way of helping people grow. This is a way of, of making a change in people's lives that is necessary. I love this. And it's so funny because um, one of my questions was going to be about what would you love your legacy to be? And I think you've That's just... It. It. I think, you know, it's, I can't think of a more apt way to, to, to remember you by or to associate you 
with, if that makes sense. Because one of the reasons why I sort of like move this um, chat around this area is I want to know the man behind the man on stage, you know? I mean, you shake the ass and you tell us all these stories, but the stories that you haven't told us. So talking about that, what do you wish you could tell us on stage that you haven't told us yet? Oh, wow. That's a great question, Victoria. Um, I, I let, me, let me think about that for a sec, because honestly, I don't ever leave anything behind. I give a hundred thousand percent. Um, well, in some ways I, I, or I do say this, but I want to say it this way. And that is this, that you deserve, everybody deserves to see and experience how you function at your absolute optimum, at least once in your life. And now is that time. The best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. The next best time is right now. So wherever you are in your life, whatever you want to do. And, and again, I, I um, believe that we all want to be wealthy, healthy, happy, and financially abundant. Wherever you are right now, now's the time to start. And it is not knowledge that changes your life. It is not knowledge that produces results. Knowledge is just stored information. It is activity. And that's different from action. Yes. It's, it's, it's activity that produces results. Activity is consistent action over and over again. But what makes us create that activity is um, something that I call the 60-20-20 rule. And the 60-20-20 rule is this. There's, there's something that's called the 80-20 rule, which says it, everything that you want to do, everything that you want to accomplish comes down to is 80% psychology yes. and 20% mechanics. That's a no-brainer, no pun intended. Well, I adjusted it because I'm, you know, I'm all about producing quicker, faster results. I always ask people, do you want what you want sooner rather than later? And the answer is, yeah, sooner. Um, and so the 60-20-20 rule is it's 60% psychology. And psychology is just simply what you think of yourself, other people, and the world around you. That's it. Your constant thoughts, your beliefs about yourself, your beliefs about other people, and, and the environment and the world around you. And so when you shift that, and this is, an, this is the broad strokes of it, but when you shift that, you shift everything. Some call it mindset. I've got a different take on that. But what makes that mindset flourish and what makes you continue to have that mindset is your psychology. So it's 60% psychology. It's 20%, I already talked about it, energy. Yes. Energy. 100%. And again, it's not just the get up and go energy. It is the electricity that you produce, which feeds into the next thing, which is where we're going to get cosmic now. And that is something called magnetism. Because if you have the psychology, that will produce the electricity and the electricity will produce you and turn you into more of a magnet than you already are. Oh, wait a minute. Where are my magnets? Oh, yeah, I got them. So check this out. I'm going to, oh, you got some. Okay, so watch this. These are, now first I'm going to say this. Every, everything on this planet, whether it's a rock, your phone, a human being, your dog or anything, everything is held together with electrons. Yes. Every atom, every every molecule is held together and made of electrons. Electrons are what? Electricity. Yes. When the electrons are below a certain point, you're dead. Okay. A rock is dead, but it still has electrons holding it together. Okay. How you make a magnet hmm. is you take iron yes. and you bombard it with what? Electrons, electricity. That's how you make a magnet, okay? Human beings, now, by the way, this is not just the laws of attraction. That's great stuff, but that's a 5,000-year-old philosophy with very, very little application. I'm the do guy. so I want, And again, I want you to understand the science behind this. Now, watch this. These are very strong magnets, and I have to, it takes a lot to pull them apart, okay? okay. Now, watch this. I have them this far apart and they will, they will, they're attracting each other. Okay. Right. Okay. Yeah. And you can hear it, but watch this. Okay. So here's an ink pen. Yes. Now this ink pen has a steel clip on it. Yes. It's not a magnet, but it's steel. This yes. magnet will attract, will make it stick to it. But watch this. I can shake it off. 
I can't shake off the magnets because it's two magnets. They're attracting each other. This, when I hold it this, this close, watch. It's not going to go. Why? Because it's not a magnet. Okay. When you as a human being learn to magnetize yourself and wait for it and magnetize the things that you want, moving towards each other closer. Now, let's go back on the 60-20-20 rule. So that's the laws of magnetism. I just wrote, you know, in, in I'm, I'm actually making another book called The 22 Immutable Laws of Magnetism. Ooh. And again, I'm not throwing the laws of attraction under the bus. Yeah. However, I am saying it's only part of the story. Now watch this. Hopefully you can see my desk. Watch this. Yes. Now these two magnets. <laughs> <laughs> you pull them apart. Now watch this. When I put them next to each other, watch. Okay? Okay? They move towards each other. But watch this. Now this is really important. No matter how charged this magnet is, as soon as I turn it over, watch what happens. Yes. Okay? Watch it again. It's moving it away. It moves it away. Okay? Yeah. If I turn it back over. It brings it together. together. Now why am I showing you that? Understand this, everybody, that when our psychology is off, mm -hmm. we push what we want away. That is why people psych, that's why we sabotage procrastination, hesitation. It's the same thing. You're, you're all of those things. When your psychology polarity is changed, your energy, your electricity drops, and you literally repel the things that you want. Yes. This is why most people don't have what they want. Yes. This is why most people procrastinate and hesitate and have fear of failure, fear of success, self-loathing and all of those things. Yes. And, uh, you know, I, again, this is really, really quick, but the concept is solid in, I don't want you to just know that because now you know that, right? But the thing is, what do I do about it? And that's what neuroencoding is, to give you the skills, the processes to do something about it so that you default to a great psychology, so that you default to a great energy, so that you default to great Magnetism. Let me give one more thing to prove it. And I'll ask this of you. Victoria, have you ever been sitting in your car yes. or somewhere and you feel somebody looking at you and you look over and they're looking at you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Vice versa. Have you ever been sitting in your car or somebody and you feel somebody looking at you and you look over and they're looking at you? Yes. Okay. So did you touch that person? No. No. Here's what you did. You magnetized yourself and them. Now, this is just a human being, and it's synonymous with everything else on the planet, okay? What happens when you put your attention and your intention on some someone else, when you're using people as an example, four things happen. Number one, your electromagnetic energy grows, yes. okay? It's a very real thing. Go on YouTube and look up Karelian photography. As soon as you put your attention and intention on something else, your electromagnetic energy grows. Number two, they feel it. Number three, their electromagnetic energy grows. And then number four, you become attracted to each other, magnetized to each other, and you move towards each other. Love it. That is how life works. That's such a life hack. And so if you learn those things, then you not only practice them, but you get to teach them to other people as well. Yeah, I love it. I mean, you're literally speaking my language, because that's all I ever say to people is, you know, attract it. Somebody actually asked me today and said, how did you get Joseph McClendon? I went, I rang him. I, I, I reached out. And she's like, but how? I was like, I don't think about the how. I figure out what I want and I go for it. It's, right. it's that simple. Mm -hmm. And yeah, there's certain things that I still sort of like don't attract as quickly as others, but it's an ongoing process where you have to keep on learning exactly. how exactly we're still human. We're still yeah, human. We're still human. But in general, I'm in a state where I want something, I go for it. Mm -hmm. it it's just wonderful, which is why I call you know what I've got manifestation kitchen. So we're about to come to the end. Mm -hmm. And you know, I just want to say thank you, but most importantly, what would you say? to everybody right now, and I know you've talked about the tree planting and everything else, but there's a lot of people who are panicking right now. Yeah. There's a lot of people who are panicking because their businesses may not look the same when they go back 
to the to the to an open world. Um, there's a lot of people who are scared because life may not be the same again. You know, if you go back to the song that we have in uh, Tony Robbins, you know, it will it won't be the same again. How what what words of wisdom have you got for them that they can take away and that they can hold on to until the next time they they listen to one of your amazing videos or they see you on stage? Um, three things. Yes. One is look where you want to go. Mm -hmm. Look where you want to go. Don't don't be, and I'm gonna tell you how not to be. Um troubled by and and influenced by what anybody else tells you with regard to what you can't do. And I know this sounds altruistic and things like that, but I'm going to give you a perfect example. When COVID hit, yes. all of us, it didn't hit some of us, it all hit all of us. Yes. My passion for what I'm, I do is impacting people's lives. How I previously did it, and it's how I met you, um, was every month, whether it's whether it was working with Tony and or my own events or other events that I do, I was regularly presenting live in front of anywhere from 15 to 20, maybe 25,000 people around the world yeah. every month yeah. live. When COVID hit within 30 days of the first one that got canceled, all of my events were canceled yeah. into 2022. Yeah. All of them went away. And I remember that day and I was sitting right, I'm in my office right now. I'm sitting here right now. And that last event got canceled. And I remember thinking, what am I going to do? Mm. Now watch this. Something came over me because I do what I said with regard to neuroencoding. And something came over me and I automatically defaulted to, I, was, I thought, what am I going to do? And I automatically defaulted to this. <laughs> I, up, I ran into the bathroom. I looked myself in the eyes. And this is what I, what I want everybody to do. I looked myself in the eyes and I said, Joseph, what do we get to do now? And that changed everything because then I started looking where I wanted to go. You mentioned the word legacy. That is where the certification course came from. That is my legacy. And that's where I sat down. I have the opportunity now. I'm not going to be on any airplanes to create this thing. I wrote a new book when I did that. I created the, the um, Magnificent Life Challenge and so many other things. And so, uh, you know, the second thing, so that's the first thing. Look where you want to go. Ask yourself the question, what do you get to do? What do you want to do? And don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Set the stakes in the ground and go after it. If you need help, it's all over the place. You know, please follow me on Instagram. I'm dropping some some truth bombs every single day. And, um, you know, involve yourself in something. Learn how to do something. Learn a new skill or whatever. Now's your time. Because the second thing is that... A, it's a year from now. As a matter of fact, I just made a video about this the other day. And that is this. A year ago, I said, a year from now, you're going to ask one of two questions. You're going to ask, what am I glad I did mm -hmm. a year ago mm -hmm. that has allowed me to thrive like I do now? Mm -hmm. Or you're going to ask, what do I wish I would have done with all that time and all that stuff? I suggest you ask the first question now. And so that's what I say to you right now, everybody. The, the second thing I want you to know is ask yourself the question, what is something you could, should, would be doing? You know, I'm so grateful for you, Victoria, in doing this with me. And for and for those of you that are listening to me right now, thank you for allowing me this opportunity to, to, to you know, share part of your life with you. And so um, that is you're doing some of it right now. Hopefully you'll take something away from this and 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 make your life better. And the third thing is this is that teach, teach it to somebody else. Uh, you don't have to say you learned it from me. You, you know, you can say whatever. You can say, you know, I heard this crazy guy or whatever, not, or maybe not. Just teach it to somebody else because that is how you grow and that is how you will grow other people's lives and that's how we'll make a difference. Lastly is that life is exactly what you dare to make it. And fortune favors the bold so the trick to life is to boldly step up and dare to make your life magnificent. And I am so uh, fortunate and, and happy that you were bold enough to step up and ask me to be a part of this here now, Victoria. And um, 
I appreciate it more than you know, because you're helping me fulfill one of my my goals in life. Oh, thank you so much, Joseph. I really appreciate it. You know, I mean, with all the drama that has surrounded COVID, I say thank you for COVID, because if it wasn't for COVID, I wouldn't have created Manifestation Kitchen. I would never probably have dreamed of creating a podcast. I wouldn't have got you on here. So we have to have you on again. We have to have you where you don't say I'm out too soon, but just to wrap up. <laughs> backstage go for it one two three i'm, I'm out, out. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much